Take your Bibles and turn with me to Deuteronomy. (laughs) And on your way... (laughs) No, it's great to be here at Master's College because you, this college, has had a significant part in what God has been doing in some of the most amazing areas of the world that we could ever dream about. I really enjoyed our worship together in singing. If we think about the words that we were singing, it was really awesome. And this morning what I want to share with you is something that I think you all know, but maybe in a new way we can begin to appreciate it. And that is that we serve an awesome God. We serve a God who does miracles. We serve the God of history. We serve a God who can intervene in the affairs of men and turn things drastically around. We serve a God who will accomplish his purposes in this world. And in my life as a missionary and as a missionary executive and having traveled to many areas of the world, I don't think there's been a time in my life that I've been more aware and in awe of the fact that uh, God's at work. And what a privilege it is to serve him. This morning I want to talk to you about some amazing surprises Surprises, the the glorious surprises of God. And I've been studying through the book of Acts recently, and in there there are a lot of surprises in Acts, and I want to show you three in the book of Acts and say that the God who did these marvelous surprises is the same God who is at work today. The first surprise is found in Acts chapter 9. I'm glad to see some of you do have your Bibles with you, and you're turning to Acts chapter 9. and, And here's the surprise. Let's just read, beginning in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who were belonging to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul were speechless. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing, and they led him by hand to Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink. Now in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Now, this is a very interesting part of the story, because Ananias in Damascus heard that Saul was coming there with letters to, uh, to imprison Christians. And the Lord appears to Ananias, too, and says, Ananias, there's a man coming, and I want you to go to this house. And his name is Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias, you're to lay your hands on him and you're to bless him. And you're to introduce him to the Christian faith. And Ananias says, whoa, Lord, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, uh, I know why this guy's coming to town. He's coming to town to persecute us. And you're asking me to go meet him? Thankfully, Ananias obeyed. And he went and... Verse 17, Ananias went into the house and entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here 
has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we read on in the story that uh, verse 20, at once Saul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. An amazing surprise. The great persecutor of the church became the great proclaimer of the gospel. Ananias, the Christians, weren't even prepared for the fact that God could do that. But thankfully, they obeyed. Thankfully, Ananias had enough faith to say, Lord, I believe you can do anything. And he went to Saul and was the means that God used to get Saul launched on his ministry. You and I live in a day in the world when God is moving in unusual ways. And as I look out over history, one of the things that has happened in the last three, four years is that the great persecutors of the church have become the facilitators of the gospel. Now, that's almost impossible for us to believe. But when you look at the communist world, whether it be Russia or China, where the church was persecuted for years, 70 years, and you say, what good could communism do? I want to tell you that communism has prepared the soil for the gospel. And the areas where the church was persecuted have now become the areas where the church is growing most rapidly. The God of history can use the wrath of man to please him and to praise him. I've had the privilege, along with some of you, of traveling to some of those areas. I just came back from a trip into central Siberia. In fact, the area that I visited in central Siberia was the area where the Soviet intelligence and military might was the greatest. In the SALT treaties, this particular area was an area where we asked the Soviet Union, as part of the treaty, to shut down their communication system because it was so far ahead of ours. And they could track everything that was happening in the world. And they still have that communication system. There are still closed cities, military cities in this region. And three years ago, I went to cross New Yorks with a team from Grace Community Church. We were the first Western group to ever go into that city. It had just opened up for Westerners. And we were able to preach the gospel on the street, in hospitals, in schools, in the church. There was a little church there of about 300 people crowded into a, uh, into a house. And we were able to help them as they were given by the government a piece of property overlooking the city where they could build a new building. And they built a huge, beautiful, new house of prayer, they call it, dedicated this last summer. Seats over a thousand people. At the dedication of that house of prayer, there were a thousand people inside and there were a thousand people outside wanting to come in. And I had the joy of preaching there just a few Sundays ago and the church was crowded and growing. And there was an area where we would say that the great persecutors of the church could cross New York, that region where Sputnik was made, where ICBMs are still being made. Could that possibly be an area where God is going to work in unusual ways? Yes. The great persecutors of the church can become the seedbed for proclamation. God's doing it today. I want to tell you something about China. Send International has been given an opportunity in China that we had never dreamed possible. 
We received a phone call from a Chinese man whom we didn't know. And he asked if he could come and share his testimony with us. And he came to share his testimony, and it was an amazing story. His name was Richard Chen. He was a businessman in Hong Kong, had a textile industry. When Richard Nixon started ping-pong diplomacy with China, Mr. Chin was one of the men that the State Department, U.S. State Department, asked to go on that first delegation. And he went on that first delegation to China. He was burdened for his own people, so he, by his own, he purchased every one sample of everything that was displayed at the first trade fair in, in what was Canton. And he brought it back to New York City, and with his own capital, he set up a trade fair for the government of China on Broadway in New York City. And as businessmen began to contact Chinese officials, they would ask the businessmen, who got you in touch with us? And the businessmen would say, Mr. Chin. And they would say, well, how much are you paying him? And the businessmen would say, he didn't ask for anything. He was just doing this because he loved his own people. And the Chinese government was so impressed with this man that they began to use him as an intermediary to establish relationships with Western businesses. Two years, three years ago, Mr. Chin visited the U.S. and he had a daughter who married a Christian doctor, Chinese Christian doctor. And while he was here in California, God got a hold of his life. He'd been a nominal Christian. But while he was here visiting his daughter, the Lord got a hold of his life and he rededicated his life to Christ he sold his business and he said, God, you've given me all these contacts in China. I want to use them for the kingdom. And it was through him that Campus Crusade, for instance, was able to get into China. And he called us on the phone and he said, I have an opportunity in China that I want to talk to you about. And he had been praying now that God would enable him to somehow get to the position where he could link up with a seminary in China because he was burdened for the training of Christian leaders in that country where the church is exploding. And the city council of Beijing, now get this, the city council of Beijing, whose primary officer sits on the Politburo, the city council of Beijing called Mr. Chin in and said, we'd like you, sir, to help us establish a graduate school of the branch campus of the University of Beijing. He said, and they said to him, would your Christian friends in America be willing to help us? And Mr. Chin turned to them and he said, I think my Christian friends would be willing to help you if you will also allow them to help you in heavenly things and not just earthly things. And to his surprise, he had been praying, asking God to do a miracle. To his surprise, the city Council of Beijing, China, said to Mr. Chin, okay, if you will help us start this graduate school, we will allow your Christian friends to help the Beijing Theological Seminary. We will allow them to come to China and to help this seminary because the seminary needs facilities. The seminary only has a few faculty members, and the seminary has no library. 
And Mr. Chin, who said himself he could hardly believe it, said, I will go to my Christian friends and see what we can do. And he called us up on the phone. He said, I have a proposal for you. Can you help me start a graduate school in China so that we can help a seminary? And I said, now, wait a minute. I, I can't provide uh, PhDs in all these disciplines and see that graduate school get started. That's just far beyond us. But I said, we're willing to talk about it. We sat down, we talked together, we got a Chinese partnership going, Chinese organization that's sending professional Chinese into, into China to start the graduate school. We set up another corporation, not called Send International, called Educational Projects Incorporated. And this year, this year, we have the first faculty member at that seminary. We've been able to give them an evangelical library. They have 175 students and when we went up there to meet with the students, the president of the student body said, I want to take you out. I want to talk to you. Took one of our men for a walk and he said, I want you to know. He said, now, you have to realize in China you have the registered church, which has been controlled by the government, and you have the unregistered church, the house church movement. And this seminary is, is with a registered church and we weren't sure where we were theologically and we weren't sure about the about the professors at the seminary. We weren't sure what was going to happen, but we, as we went there to meet with them, we met with the professors. One man had been in prison for 30 years. And he shared his faith in Jesus. And he shared how he had been praying for all that time that God would allow him before he died to see Leadership trained for the church in China. This man was a co-founder of InterVarsity in China with David Abney back in 1940. And he had been in prison for 30 years. Love the Lord Jesus. The student body president went for a walk and he said, I want to tell you, all of us in the student body are believers. All of us, except one. He said, one here has been sent by the government. We know who he is, and we're working on him. And he said, you know something? You know what our greatest need is? We need those who will come and teach us who believe this book. Secondly, he said, could you give us a study Bible? He said, we graduate from seminary. We're going out to pastor churches. We don't even have one book. Not even one book. But can you give us a study Bible to take with us? Did I ever dream in my wildest imagination that we would be involved in helping to train pastoral leadership for China, in China, invited by the city council of Beijing? Never! But God's at work. And written in the contract is this statement. Visiting professors have the right to preach and teach what they believe in the seminaries, and in any church that invites them. I want to tell you something. God's working in our world today in unusual ways. Just as he saved the Apostle Paul, he's moving in the world that persecuted the church to prepare the soil for the gospel. Second great surprise. Turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Here's the story of Cornelius, the God-fearing Gentile, and Peter 
the Jew, the apostle. And here's the principle of Acts chapter 10. God desires to save people that we think are unreachable. God desires to reach and save people we believe are unreachable. Now, Peter, a Jew, had been trained all of his life. The Gentiles were off limits. Not only did the word of God say that in the Old Testament in terms of what God had told the Jewish people and what had happened to them when they had not obeyed the Lord, but the Jewish laws added to the scriptures had all kinds of taboos about touching, being near, ministering to Gentiles. And God sends him a vision of unclean meats, and Peter's there praying, and he sees these unclean meats, and the Lord says to him, Eat! And Peter says, No, Lord, I can't. I want to obey you. I, I want to obey your dietary laws. I want to obey the Word of God. I can't eat that. And God says, Eat! And Peter's struggling with a vision. And there's a knock that comes at his door. And there are three men waiting at the door. And Peter goes down and these three men say that there's a man called Cornelius in his household that wants to talk to you. And God had to break through to Peter to say, I can save those that you think are unsavable. And Peter went to Cornelius' house. When he got to the house, he explained to them about Jesus. And the whole household believed. And the Gentiles had a Pentecost in that day. The beginning of the church among the Gentiles. And God showed the early church that He can break through where they didn't think possible. Now, I don't know about your life, but some of you may come from non-Christian homes. I, I do. Some of you may come from situations where you've been praying for your parents to come to faith. I have. Some of you may think it's been such a long time and so difficult, I don't see how God can ever do it. God can. I prayed for my mother from the time that I was 15 when I received Christ until about the time that I was 40 a few years ago. And by God's grace, her whole attitude changed and she came to faith. God delights to save those that we think are unsavable, unreachable. I want to relate a story to you that relates to the Master's College. It's the country of Albania. Albania was the most atheistic country in the world. Atheism was the official religion of Albania. Many Christians were praying that the gospel would get to Albania because there were no known Christians in Albania. And this college had the privilege of sending one of the first groups into Albania after it opened up. Educators, Dr. Hughes and others from this college have gone to Albania at the invitation of the Minister of Education to help them set up an educational system that will give them a moral base for the future. Many people felt that Albania was unreachable. One of the graduates of this school, Bob, Rob Provost and Pam, are living in Albania. Brad and Julia Lay, graduates of this school, are going to Albania. They're going to go there to preach the gospel of Christ in an area of the world which was against God. 
And maybe there are areas of the world which you say God can never reach. Don't say that. Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists. God desires to reach those who we think are unreachable. And he can do it, just as he did it in the book of Acts. Now, the third surprise in the book of Acts, I want you to look in Acts chapter 16. This is the uh, account of the Apostle Paul on his missionary journey. Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul on his missionary journey. He's already obedient. He's already serving God. He's headed through what is now Turkey. He has a plan to preach the gospel in all the cities of Asia Minor. It's a good plan. And when we serve God, we ought to plan. We ought to have our strategy. And Paul had it. And he and his members were going to go from town to town to establish churches in Asia Minor. And God's Spirit breaks through to him one night in a dream. And God says to Paul, the Spirit hinders Paul. He says, don't go on. Don't continue in the direction you're going. And then he has this dream of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. We pick it up in Acts chapter 16 and verse 5, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul had seen the vision. He got up ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Here was a surprise. Man who set his heart to serve God, who was headed in a good direction, and God intervened in his life and changed his direction. And you know what? You and I are here today, providentially, in a large part, because Paul and his team obeyed and went westward. And the gospel spread through the Western world because a man of God was willing to have his direction changed by the Spirit of God probably surprised him because he had an idea and he thought things were going in the right direction. And God said, no, I have another thing for you, which is far better than what you dream. And Paul obeyed. Now, I want you to see something in each of these surprises. In the case of the conversion of the Apostle Paul, God intervened in Paul's life. But the conversion would not have happened if Ananias hadn't obeyed and went to Paul. God always uses his servants to be the instrument to get his gospel to others, even in the case of this great miraculous change in Paul. In Acts chapter 10, God wanted to reach the Gentiles. Could he reach the Gentiles without the church? Well, the sovereign God can do what he wants, but look, what did he do? He gave Peter a vision. Cornelius was hungry for God, but the... Cornelius and his family would not have been saved if Peter didn't go to their household. Now, Paul is ready to go to Macedonia. There's a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. 
The Western movement of the gospel happened because somebody was willing to change directions and obey. Let me ask you a question. What do you want to do with your life that will make a difference for the kingdom? Some of us have some very good plans. Good plans. Paul had good plans. Godly plans. Doing good things. Are we willing to let God intervene in our life if He wants to? And change our direction for kingdom good. Rob Provost, when I first met him here at the Master's College and knew his dad, Rob was burdened for the Muslim world and was going to Egypt, and that was a great place. He went to Egypt and served there. and He had a real burden for the Muslim world, but there's nothing in his mind that ever thought he ever thought of Albania. By the way, Albania is now part of the Islamic League, and we need to pray for that country because right now, here's a prayer request, a critical prayer request, Right now, there's legislation being formed that will go before the Albanian parliament that will legalize only three religions in Albania. Islam, Roman Catholicism, and Orthodoxy. And if that happens, evangelical Christianity will be excluded. You need to pray for Albania right now. Rob and Pam are headed in a different direction, but Albania opened and God laid a burden on their heart and they went to Albania and he has had an opportunity to work with government officials. We hope to see a church started among government officials. And I was in Albania just in the early part of September. And while I was there, I had the privilege of staying in the home of the Minister of Energy. And I talked to him and to his daughters about their faith and their belief. And he's an atheist, but he's open. He never read a Bible before in his life. And he took a Bible and he said he's beginning to read it. The philosophies, I asked his daughter, I said, what do you do with young people? The young people are out walking the streets every day in Tirana. I said, what do you do? He said, well, she said, well, we walk together and we talk about our future. I said, how do you talk about your future? And she said, well, we talk about the great philosophers. And I said, well, what philosophers are you talking about? And she said, I really like Sartre. And Camus. Existentialism, despair. They're searching for answers for the future. And Rob and Pam are alone in Albania as far as send is concerned. We have a window of opportunity. And this college has been involved. Maybe, maybe God wants to say to some of you, you're headed in this direction, that's good. But I want to intervene for the sake of the kingdom. Next week, you're going to sign up for uh, summer opportunities in Providenia, Far East Russia, in uh, Kiev, Russia, in Albania. Maybe you had a plan for the summer. I'd like to... Sod, it's greatness of your faith to look at the battle, and we're trying to get the mics here, well, maybe this one's about the same, I think. When we look at the battle, 
There's this chapel out there. You can. <laughs> when we look at the battle, sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we're saying, Lord, how can you use me? And God says to us, it's not you. It's not your faith. It's who I am. The parable of the mustard seed says, small faith in a great God makes the difference. And maybe you're struggling and saying, Lord, can I really trust you? If the Lord wants to change the directions, if the Lord wants to use you to reach people you thought unreachable, if God wants to use you to be part of His plan for the communist world, don't be afraid. Because our God can use us as humble servants to accomplish His purposes. At this Bible school in Cross, New York, that we just helped to start, 22 men from all over the region, a region of 4 million, where there are only 4,000 believers, have gathered for nine months to study the Scriptures, to start churches throughout that region. One man shared his testimony. He was an alcoholic, a drunk. He tried to commit suicide three times. He joined the Communist Party. He became involved in the Mafia. He, his home was ripped up. And his aunt had come to know Christ, and in the process of all that was happening to him, after four and a half years in jail, he went to church. Four Sundays later, he repented of his sins and trusted the Savior. And now, at age 47, he's training to be a gospel proclaimer. Our God can do miracles. I challenge you to get involved with what He's doing in the world for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the joy it is to be Your servants, to see You at work, for You're able to take the persecutors and enable them to be proclaimers. You're able to take those who we think are unreachable and bring them to Yourself. And Father, sometimes you want to intervene in our directions and our plans for the sake of the kingdom. May we be obedient to you so that your wonderful surprises, the things that you want to do in the world, will happen as we obey. For Jesus' sake, amen.